listening to people's stories of their encounters with Jesus based on John's account. Uh, Today we are hearing two stories. Uh, The first is Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think the word that best sums up her experience of watching her firstborn son die such a brutal death is traumatised. Our reading is from John chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it they said to one another, let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, we're going to have a presentation song now. Mary, did you know? Please remain seated. How do I feel? My son is dead. Yesterday, I watched them mock him, flog him, spit on him, Force him to carry his own cross? 
They pounded nails into his hands and feet. I watched him be wrapped up in linen and sealed with a stone into that tomb in the dark all alone. My son is dead. And for all the mercy he's shown, God might as well be dead too. And my son felt that too. He was there alone. He was exposed to all heaven and earth. Why have you forsaken me? He cried. Why, why have you forsaken me, God? That is not the God who sent an angel to renounce my son's birth. Highly favoured, the angels called me. They were promising me a son with a throne and a kingdom and he would rule forever. What did I care about kingdoms? When I first held him in my arms, that was enough for me. This isn't the God who favoured who favoured my cousin Elizabeth with, with a child after being barren for so long. Blessed are you among women, she cried, when her son leapt for joy, when, when he recognised the child in my womb. Elizabeth and my soul sang to that God and my spirit rejoiced in him. And later, when my son first grabbed my finger and his first word was Mama, This is not the God who sent hosts of angels to announce my son's birth to the shepherds. Those shepherds, most of them were children themselves. God, they were as wild as their sheep. But they told me about the angels and I treasured it in my heart. But not nearly as much as I treasured the music of my son's. First laugh. <laughs> this is not the God who led Simeon and Anna to bless my baby at the temples. <laughs> no, the God who sent the Magi with all those gifts to worship him. Yet how much greater a gift when my son's feet, so small, <laughs> they took their first steps. 
how could that God, who brought such joy, such blessings, such gifts, stand by yesterday? He did nothing. Where was he when they mocked my son? How could he allow them to put nails through my son's hands and feet? And why would he just ignore his cry? My son, I've lost my son. I suppose I, I began losing him a long time ago when the others joined him. Oh, so many others needed him then. They still need him. I saw, but I didn't want to admit it. He was no longer mine. You know, it, I think it actually began earlier than that. It was a... It was at the Passover about 20 years ago. For three days, we couldn't find him. Three of the longest days of my life. Do you know what? We found him with the rabbis in the temple. Do you know what he said to me? Why are you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? His father's house. his father's house. So many ways I lost him years ago. I wonder if he was ever really mine. Did God cry when the angels sang at his birth knowing that it would end in such agony and suffering? Does watching your son die hurt as much if you're divine? I suppose if I'd listened, if I'd listened closely all those years ago, I would have known it would have ended like this. Simeon told me that a sword would pierce my soul. And those gifts the Magi brought? Gold for a king, yeah. But incense for an offering and myrrh for a burial. My son is dead. God's son is dead.
Friends, our second story gives us eyewitness testimony of Jesus' death. Two Jewish leaders, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus the Pharisee, carry out the Jewish burial rites for Jesus. We continue from John 19. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds or 34 kilograms. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Sometimes it's easier staying in the shadows. It feels safer. You can hide your true thoughts and feelings if you keep them to yourself. That way others don't know and they can't reject you. Yeah, and we can see it. we've seen what can happen. Rejection can destroy a person. I'm a member of the Jewish Council. People know my reputation. I'm known to lead a good and upright life. I am a prominent Pharisee. I too am a respected member of the Jewish council. But when I met Jesus, he challenged my thinking 
He spoke as one who had authority. I watched him, his miracles, the signs. I met him face to face under the cover of darkness. It felt safer. He didn't dismiss me, but listened to my questions as I grappled to understand the one who sat before me. He confronted my long-held beliefs and traditions that formed the foundation of everything I stood on. Yet, he did it with kindness, with gentleness. His words, they, they illuminated something inside of me. But when it comes down to it, isn't faith a personal thing between you and God? Nobody else's business. Keep it to yourself. It's safer that way. But he was so, so visible. His words of love and life. He not only spoke of connection with God, but with others too. He connected with the very people we had kept at more than an arm's length. Oh, for good reason, so we thought. There was the unclean, the sick, sinners, people of low repute, <laughs> tax collectors. Well, for them, this connection was life-changing. And here lies the dilemma while maintaining a safe facade that is on the outside and staying in the good books with friends and other Jewish leaders, inside there is no peace as we wrestle with the bigger things of life. So when our threads of tradition were unravelling, our people, the Jewish council... They sought to put an end to it. They deemed that our ways needed to be preserved at all costs. Jesus needed to be stopped. Well, they searched the scriptures to see where they could expose him as a fraud. Then, with my heart beating just wildly, a little, I stepped out of the shadows just to try and get them to see some reason. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to see what he is doing? I asked. <laughs> they put me in my place. They were relentless. I did not agree with their decisions and actions to kill Jesus, to snuff out the light. But they wouldn't listen. Any words of reason fell on deaf and unyielding ears. They hung him on a cross to die. And that's when I came out of the shadows. I didn't care. Suddenly I didn't care who knew my devotion to Jesus. I asked Pilate for Jesus' body. There were customs to follow. The Sabbath was approaching. My reputation, it faded into insignificance. All I could do was think of him of honouring him. Together, we prepared his body. With myrrh and aloes, spices. 
fit for a king. We wrapped him in linen cloth. Memories of Jesus replayed in our minds as we worked. His teachings, his laughter, his miracles, the healings. <laughs> Didn't he just raise somebody from the dead? And now he lies lifeless before us. His conversations, his investment of love and time in people from all walks of life. How could it possibly end like this? We gently placed Jesus in the garden, in a brand new tomb, hewn out of rock that I had prepared for myself and my family, my gift to him. What if? What if people saw us and found out about what we did in the days that followed? We just didn't care anymore. Their derisive looks, their judgmental slides seemed well, trivial, meaningless. It's ironic, really. Our devotion and love for Jesus was now exposed, out of the shadows and into the light, you could say. But was it too late? Darkness enveloped as we left the garden that night. Jesus was dead. The man whose very words breathed life was dead. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. Well, friends, here's a, something you're invited to chat about with a friendly person near you. Given they were once secretive, secretive about following Jesus, what do you think moved Joseph and Nicodemus to carry out his burial? Have a chat about that for a few minutes. Friends, what's the hardest task you've ever completed? Perhaps building a house or restoring a really old rusted out car. Maybe writing an academic thesis or finishing a series of exams to qualify for what you do. Perhaps rehab after an accident or giving birth to a baby. Once you've got that thing done, remember the sense of satisfaction. At last you can ah, breathe a sigh of relief and go, oh, it is finished. 
In his Gospel account, Mark writes that Jesus megaphoned his last word and John tells us what that last one word is in Greek. It is tetelestai. It is finished. Jesus' shout of victory from the cross is tetelestai. Let's all shout that out. Can't again. Tetelestai. It's a shout of victory. Jesus didn't just die in a little old fade-out whimper. No, it's a shout of victory for Jesus and for you and me and every person on the planet. Friends, I want to quickly unpack three aspects to this word to tell us die. The first is mission accomplished. You see, Jesus' death is not just a random accident or something that just happened by chance. It was part of God's unfolding plan ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden and were evicted. And God always had a plan to turn the curse around and bring it back into his blessing. A bunch of times Jesus said to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer and die and on the third day rise again. And you get an example in John 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus, through his death, was going to turn death into eternal life for all who believe. It was the culminations of God's plan to rescue a broken humanity from sin and death and destruction so we could again be safe in his arms forever. So when Jesus cries to tell us die from the cross, it's mission accomplished. The work the Father had given him to do was completed, finished forever. Second, the job's done. I'm going to take you into the temple. In the temple, the high priest, every morning and afternoon, would supervise the sacrifice of a perfect lamb. Its blood was spilt on the altar to atone for the sin of the nation. The writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus as our great high priest. But what was the sacrifice Jesus offered as the great high priest? It was his own perfect life his body given into death and his innocent blood shed for the sins of the world. And when it was done, as the high priest in the temple, when he was done, he would go and say, it's finished, and he would go and sit down. And when Jesus had completed his job, that's why he could then sit at the right hand of the Father, to tell us die, the job's done. Third aspect, paid in full. The word to tell us die, it was used in commerce in the ancient world, that whenever you'd paid off a debt, someone, the vendor, would write across it or stamp it, to tell us die. In other words, paid in full. If you've ever served, served a mortgage, or paid off a loan over a long period of time, isn't that a good feeling? Oh, you're free of debt. The same word that they think was used 
of a prisoner on the day of his release. The jailer would take his um, record, which had the charges and the sentence to be served, and once it had been done, he would write across it, Tetelestai, paid in full. And so the prisoner could walk out of that jail as a freed person. Imagine the feeling. I'm free again. And friends, that's what it is finished means for us. Jesus has paid in full for your sin and guilt and shame so you can be forgiven, released from all the burdens and baggage you carry and set free to do life in relationship with God forever. Through the cross of Christ, God offers his full forgiveness and favour as his completed and perfect gift to you with all his love. Because Jesus has done everything that separates us from God and the life God wants for us. It is finished. A guilty conscience, it is finished. A life wondering what on earth is God like, it's finished. The fear and shame that keeps us running and hiding and pretending God doesn't exist, it is finished. The fear of death and what comes after it, it is finished. A life ruled by selfish ambition or unchecked desires and addictions, it is finished. The anguish of not knowing whether things are right between God and me, it is finished. The burden of thinking that years ago I did something so bad that God couldn't possibly forgive it, it's finished. The guilt over a broken marriage or divorce or fractured family, it is finished. The shame of that abortion or that affair or that premarital fling, it is finished. Why is it finished? Because Jesus says to tell us die. It's been paid for. The debt's been paid. You can go free. You can have life and hope and salvation because everything I've done for you is my completed gift to you. Just receive the gift and live in the gift and enjoy the gift and hold on to it forever because that's what God gives to you on Good Friday. And the people of God said, Amen. Well, friends, the only thing we can do with a gift is receive it with gratitude and hold on to it, yes? So knowing that we have this gift, let's pray together the prayer Jesus gave us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Well, friends, the last song we're going to sing is my favourite song ever. It's when I survey the wondrous cross. As I read and sing it, it kills everything in me that's bad. Would you please join? <laughs> 